Hi there, this is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner with Momenta Partners. Welcome to the Momenta Intelligent Edge podcast series, where we feature leading practitioners and thinkers across connected industry and the broader technology landscape. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Momenta Edge podcast. This is Momenta Insights partner, Ed McGuire. And today we have a very special guest, Majek Kranz, whose title is VP of Strategic Innovation at Cisco. But Majek is actually a lot more than that. He's been one of the, uh, the really the most prominent thought leaders in uh, IoT, helping to shape the uh, a lot of the, the, the thinking uh, and, and, and in putting in practice a lot of the ideas and visions that have really emerged around you know, the connecting industry and uh, really the, the uh, Internet of Everything. And Majek's book, Building the Internet of Things, is absolutely a is required reading for anybody that's interested in the space. And uh, I got it when it first came out a couple of years ago. Uh, Majek, it's great to have you on. Ed, really a pleasure, and thank you so much for uh, uh, opportunity to talk about my favorite topic. So. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So, yeah, I think it would, what would be helpful for uh, some of the listeners who, who may not know you is just to, um, could you share a bit of your uh, your background and, and what had brought you to uh, really to, to focus on what we call connected industry, but which broadly includes uh, IoT and, and, and many, many other uh, aspects of technology and business transformation? Uh, sure. And, uh, you know, I've been involved in the in the networking industry, I would say, for the last 30 years. So uh, um, started <laughs> sort of in late 80s. But uh, I would say at the beginning of this century, uh, we started to get involved in um, uh, deployments beyond sort of the traditional IT environments and um, with industrial Ethernet and so forth. And uh, um, and uh, um, to be honest, it was sort of interesting um, uh, interesting sort of extension and a very different extension to our traditional business. But then I would say around uh, six or seven years ago, we thought that the timing was right uh, for Cisco and for the industry to uh, go big on sort of this concept of connecting everything. Um, and uh, funny enough, you mentioned connected industries, and uh, I was actually asked to run our first IoT business unit, and we called it Connected Industries Business Unit, exactly uh, because we thought that um, we were moving beyond the IT into uh, the space of connecting devices and connecting the industries. Um, so, um, and I ran this, uh, this group for a while, and then um, um, once sort of we felt that uh, um, IoT was taking off, um, I uh, moved over to the current role, which is basically focused on incubating new businesses in white spaces. Um, uh, that uh, and a lot of them are actually uh, natural um, uh, extensions, or they are naturally fitting into the IoT umbrella as well. So that's uh, sort of my history and my involvement uh, with IoT. And then, as you mentioned, uh, a few years ago, I put together a book about the topic as well. Yeah. Could you talk a bit about what led you to uh, to, to write the book and some of the mm-hmm. – uh, well, we'll get in a little bit later to uh, you know, just to what you've learned since. But, you know, what was it that, that had, had prompted the, um, you know, the decision to, to put a lot of your thoughts <coughs> down on paper? 
Uh, sure, and uh, we, uh, uh, you've been in the industry for a while also, right? So, uh, um, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, when we were sort of at the hype of the IoT um, uh, sort of uh, hype, <laughs> so to speak, hype curve, um, and uh, uh, there was a lot of messaging around IoT about, uh, you know, billions of devices getting connected and um, uh, all of us making trillions of dollars with IoT. Uh, but to be honest, a lot of um, line of business executives and sort of people that run businesses were confused about IoT. They were not sure exactly what it was for and how they can use it. So I started to get a question more and more around, is there a book that helps, will help us demystify IoT and also sort of put it in a business context? So for business, business decision makers, um, how... Um, uh, how they can use IoT to drive their business value. And I looked around, and at that time, I didn't see any book like this, so I decided to write one. And it took me two and a half years, and uh, um, and the book came out. Um, and um, uh, to be honest, I think that um, uh, my main goal with this book was, uh, again, to demystify IoT, but more importantly, to help every business, whether you are in industrial or in healthcare or agriculture, whether you're large or small, um, to help every business get started on their IoT journey. Because I, I do believe that IoT in many ways is sort of a foundational capability of digital transformation. And, uh, and uh, as the industries sort of become technology industries, it's, it's imperative that every organization gets started on their IoT journey. if on the negative side, they want to survive. On the positive side, if they want to evolve and and grow their business, yeah. That I mean, and that that really that thinking has has really resonated. I mean, what have you learned since the book was published? I think that uh, when you when you launched, what was uh, you really did step into a a gap in the market where people were looking for use cases, and you pro- provide a lot of illustrations and uh, and and roadmap. Uh, roadmaps for people to to get smarter. You know, what what are some of the things that that have uh, uh, that have emerged that maybe that may have been different from what you initially thought, or uh, what you've seen that's reinforced some of the some of the key thinking and and tenets in the book? Yeah, I think that um, the whole uh, sort of a premise of the book was uh, this was sort of a, a practical guide, right? So I actually did list. Um, four sets of use cases I call the fast paths to payback, a bit of a tongue twister, uh, 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 that um, organizations, if they want to get started on the IoT journey, they should focus on those. So they are either focused on connecting uh, their operations or so remote operations, uh, predictive analytics, uh, preventive maintenance. Um, I also put in a book, uh, there's a whole chapter on, uh, on um, sort of mistakes that uh, uh, organizations have made over the years in IoT and how to learn from those mistakes. And uh, so, so a lot of practical uh, information around how to build a business case, um, uh, sort of do's and don'ts. Um, and I found that um, uh, that in general, these concepts were very well received, but there were a couple of things that sort of stood out. The first one was um, it it was interesting to see that technology was actually not the major challenge or a barrier um, to IoT adoption. There were some some 
non-technology aspects around culture, around change management, around skill sets, um, around market structures, around business model that turned out to be much more important um, uh, uh, areas that needed to be addressed for a successful IoT rollout than the, the actual solution and the technology itself. Um, uh, the second aspect of this was the aspect of, of security. So obviously over the last two years especially, we saw a lot of um, denial of server attacks, another, a lot of um, um, uh, sort of cyber attacks using IoT infrastructure. And in some ways, security became uh, moved from, uh, yes, it's important uh, in a, uh, w together with other things to, well, we need to have a security strategy before we get started on IoT journey. So it became a... Uh, sort of a, uh, the number one criteria for enterprises to consider. Um, and I think that, the, uh, to be honest, the third area, which was surprising for me, was um, uh, that the feedback I started to get after, um, uh, after people read the book was, yeah, I get it, I need to get started, I still need more help. Um, I need... Um, uh, it is complex because of the reasons we've mentioned. Um, I need some more of a hand-holding to uh, make sure that uh, I, I'm ready to deploy my, my, my IoT strategy that I, and start my first IoT project, which is why I recently published a um, sort of a companion workbook to, a, to the building the, um, the Internet of Things book, which is basically step-by-step -step instructions of how to get uh, get ready, get started, and um, ensure long-term success in your IoT journey. Uh, that's great, and I, I think the uh, so the security challenge is certainly one I think that was uh, not <laughs> really initially uh, incorporated uh, in in a lot of a lot of product designs as mm -hmm. you know, as you have people who were designing for functionality and designing for utility at, at uh, as as edge devices. I mean that's certainly uh, we've certainly seen with denial of service attacks and other. Um, you know, uh, other compromises that that's that needs to be very much front and center. Um, I think what's also interesting, and you have done some work about the, on this as well, is um, is return on investment. And I uh, mm -hmm. would love to get your thoughts on how the um, uh, how because ROI determining ROI. If you go back a few years ago, this was this was one of the big obstacles to adoption uh, of <clears throat> of projects, or at least justification for projects was was defining yep. ROI. I'd be interested to get your sense on how that uh, th you know that process and the ability to find ROI has uh, you know has advanced. And I know you also have um, uh, you've shared some tools as well for for calculating ROI. Correct. We actually, um, uh, exactly to, to your point, we found that um, it was essential to, to uh, give and help um, the practitioners, uh, um, give them sort of the, uh, the sort of tools that they can use to build their business case, to build their, their ROI. Um, so we, we actually placed on my website, uh, we placed an ROI, online ROI calculator that um, everybody can log in and sort of use to, uh, to create um, an ROI uh, output. Um, so there were, there were a couple of uh, lessons learned. One was that um, even as you get started with your first IoT project, most likely you will not have a very clear and uh, precise ROI because you actually don't know, right? Still, so in some way, you're going in and saying, let me do this first IoT project, and it's a little bit on 
trust me kind of a model, right? And which is part of the reason one of my um, advice was sort of think big, have a big dream in architecture, but start very small. Partly because you actually need to uh, have an early success and build on your success, but also partly because you actually need to um, uh, hone your understanding of what the ROI you will get. Um, and um, but even in this first phase, before you start your first IoT project, you should try. You should do your best to assess your ROI, knowing that it will not be probably precise and very accurate, but at least get a sense of that. So that's the first time when you actually will do your business case and ROI. Uh, but more importantly, once you've done your first small IoT project, it's very important that, to go back, obviously assess lessons learned, um, uh, but more importantly, uh, to do a very precise ROI analysis of that project. And there are many reasons, um, and I put it also in, the, in a chapter in the book, what you would often see that uh, your expected ROI would not materialize. Um, some of them would be that, for example, you would focus, uh, a lot of teams focused uh, too much on the solution itself and not why they're the developing solution and tying the business process and evolution of business process uh, with the solution itself, right? Uh, quite often, to your earlier point, um, maybe security was underestimated as a uh, as an area of investment, right? Maybe um, the folks didn't have the right training, the right skills, which is why if you look at um, the, the workbook, um, we put so much emphasis on making sure that um, you, you actually um, assess and you bring um, your level of expertise and your uh, your um, uh, your readiness in all of these areas before you start on the uh, on the IoT project, and as a result, when you do the ROI, um, hopefully you will actually see the positive one because you are actually ready. Yeah, no, that's a great point, and and we'll we'll link to the ROI calculator uh, on the site in, in the show notes. Um, I had a, a question, sort of a bigger picture question. Um, if we go back about a year, uh, <coughs> Cisco had had released a, a study that had showed that there were a number of, of projects that were failing to move beyond the proof of concept stage into production. And if we go back, say. Go back about five years to when we first met, I think around 2014, there was mm -hmm. an enormous amount of uh, anticipation and optimism that we would see you know, very rapid adoption. And it, and it seemed that, that for a while there uh, that some projects were getting a bit stuck or, or they weren't moving into into production. And, and since then, we've, we've started to see things uh, really uh, really pick up a bit. But I'd love to get your sense of, of you know, where we are in this in this. Uh, kind of broader uh, wave of adoption in the market and, you know, how we've seen the uh, the, the very broad uh, perception of, you know, how practically uh, industries that are not necessarily connected can adopt the technologies in a way uh, that will move into production applications. Yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of funny because, uh, as you remember, um, uh, when we, uh, uh, we were sort of at the height of the hype with IoT, we thought that we were sort of uh, defying the the hype curve logic, right? So we were on top of the of the hype curve and then we would just go up from there. Well, 
it turned out yet again that the hype curve was correct and we went to the trough and now we're going into the into the actual practical implementation phase and uh, uh, you know if you look at the study that you mentioned um, I actually thought it was um, sort of a, um, a sobering message but also I, was, I actually thought it was an optimistic message which basically stated um, yes a lot of organizations got started on their IoT journeys and they found out that uh, uh, as you saw that only a fraction of these um, uh, companies actually uh, successfully completed their projects which basically meant a couple of things one is they're still in the, in the proof of concept phase right um, and they uh, they're working through the uh, sort of their first project the second one was the realization that they um, focus on an IOT solution rather than solving the business problem right and then um, sort of and, and similar types of problems where they had to r reset and sort of pivot their IOT uh, efforts um, and the third one was I think um, uh, area around uh, like we talked earlier sort of approaching the IOT project comprehensively so but I would say since then um, uh, what we have seen um, uh, I think is a much more realistic and grounded and thorough approach to IOT mm. versus a hooray let's run with a flag and uh, and wouldn't the world look great you know uh, three months from now kind of approach um, we also realized that um, you know different industries move at different pace and they are at the different stage of the journey um, like for example in the industrial segment like uh, let's say in industrial automation IOT deployments are fairly mature um, you know on the Cisco side we actually have around 14,000 customers and a lot of them are actually in the industrial space uh, from the IOT perspective while in construction for example we're sort of early in a stage where um, uh, to be honest um, I recently had a conversation with a construction company from Europe and uh, I was talking to them about the great promise of IOT and then the CEO sort of stopped me and said well Maciek that sounds great but you are sort of three heads ahead uh, three, three steps ahead of us we're still moving from pen and pencil to spreadsheets yeah. right so uh, let's let's sort of make sure that we are grounded of where we are in this transition but yeah, I also saw a lot of acceleration for example um, uh, agriculture remember a couple of years ago agriculture was not sort of the primary market um, uh, segment we talked about in the context of IOT now it sort of sprung up to be one of the leading ones again less less about the technology and more because they have um, co compelling uh, reasons to be focusing on IOT in this case is um, shortage of water uh, in this case is um, uh, lack of reliable um, workforce and thirdly a uh, big focus on food safety um, and and some other issues that basically drove agriculture over the next two or th last two or three years to move to become aggressive adopters of IOT technologies um, so overall I would say the benefit over the last two or three years is that we truly moved from hype and people getting started on IOT journeys without being fully ready to now a much more pragmatic business grounded approach which I think will result in a um, uh, in IOT projects that will have clear ROI and clear benefits.
I thought it's very interesting that you had mentioned agriculture because, uh, and I, I wanted to get to the address the question of data and data privacy, which is certainly mm-hmm. an ongoing debate. But uh, certainly in my conversations with uh, people who were who were working in in connected agriculture, there were a lot of uh, concerns over data ownership and data privacy. And of course, this is not uh, unique to to agriculture as an industry. But I'd love to get your perspective on the at least the evolving views of data data privacy and data ownership because that had for in many cases had been a real obstacle to companies looking to invest in in connected solutions uh, and it's a great topic and you know I just flew in from uh, from Europe two days ago so you, as you can appreciate with uh, impending uh, GDPR, uh, implementation is a very hot topic there as well, but honestly, everywhere. Um, and, you know, privacy um, has different uh, and, and sort of data ownership and uh, uh, have different uh, meanings in different industries, right? It will be different in healthcare versus in agriculture, for example, right? But uh, but there are some common, common um, sort of elements. And I actually, um, I am very optimistic and very happy with uh, uh, sort of direction that the GDPR is taking us. Um, you know, there was a fair bit of Greek criticism about complexity and so forth, but I think the premise is right, which is at the end of the day, uh, the end consumer and business own their data, right? And uh, um, and from that perspective, how do we build the IoT systems to make sure that on one hand, we ensure that the data is um, um, is actually uh, re- residing in the right areas, which is um, why you see the whole concept of fog computing or distributed cloud, right? Where you want to process the data um, for uh, um, for architectural and logistical reasons close to the source of the data coming from, uh, where the data is coming from, but also because quite often you would want the data to actually reside on premise in your enterprise, right? Versus taking it into the cloud. Um, th- so there is a Data, data ownership by by the enterprise, but there's also um, the privacy issue, and uh, there is a strong IoT element in GDPR as well, uh, where when you see all the uh, IoT devices, let's say cameras and sensors and actuators, they actually collect uh, personal data, and how do we make sure that um, this data is not used? Um, in a way that is not in agreement with what the consumers want. So, for example, um, the last, the third generation of parking solutions now, um, uh, these solutions have um, on the uh, on the camera that is basically uh, registering and sensing where you have the uh, the available parking slots. Right. This 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 camera also would capture, let's say, uh, people's faces, people's data. But these cameras actually process this data in the concept of fog computing on the device itself, and they don't uh, send uh, the data that in- includes, let's say, um, uh, uh, people's faces or, um, uh, or um, uh, license plates into the central location. This, this data gets processed locally and then discarded, right? So. We're developing systems now that, in addition to providing scalability, also offer um, uh, the the, uh, the privacy protections and um, sort of architectural approaches to privacy as well. 
do you see that privacy and even uh, or uh, privacy regulations, but also industry specific uh, requirements for, for data management being embedded or uh, I would say productized in in the architecture of solutions? Do you think it's it's it will become easy enough to uh, to be able to have almost templates for compliance for data management? It, I, I fully agree with that, and I fully believe that would be a case. Um, having said that, I think the key to uh, what you mentioned is the architecture. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of discussion, for example, around um, uh, sort of embedding security and, and, uh, and privacy uh, requirements, for example, in each of the end consumer device. Um, because obviously, like, for example, we saw a lot of denial of service attacks, for example, leveraging let's say, in uh, hard-coded uh, uh, the user ID and passwords into, uh, into let's say, consumer cameras, right? And uh, we all talk about um, these scary uh, ideas of people uh, or hackers hacking into your uh, baby monitor and so forth. But I, um, uh, but I think if we take the architectural approach um, and solution-level approach to security and privacy, it's, it becomes much more uh, scalable, scalable and much more practical and realistic. Um, so, for example, um, uh, yes, there are some elements that need to be implemented on the end, end device, um, but also a lot of the security and privacy capabilities can be embedded at the network level, layer. Um, using, in many ways, tools that we already know um, how to use. For example, uh, um, asset inventories, um, posture assessments, right? Um, uh, Micro-segmentation, role-based access controls. These are the set of tools that we can deploy across the architecture uh, that will allow us to control and provide level of privacy and security without the need for each of the elements of the security architecture to um, provide um, every one of these functions uh, in isolation. Yeah, you mentioned architecture and being able to architect different capabilities into uh, into solutions. And you had earlier mentioned fog computing, and I actually wanted to follow up on that is in terms of what you see uh, in on the technology landscape, some of the innovations that are uh, you know that re really are changing the way people think about their business processes and and their applications. I mean, the move from this centralized, uh, almost we'll say cloud mobile model to this mm -hmm. more decentralized intelligent edge model has uh, is requiring a lot of rethinking of of how people design their systems. And I would love to get your perspective. Uh, I know that Cisco has been very active uh, in advancing a lot of thinking around around fog computing, but what what are some of the, 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 the capabilities, um, number one, that can be uh, unleashed through adoption of, of some of these newer uh, newer models and newer ideas, and and maybe some challenges or or obstacles to uh, you know to really rethink and take advantage of of some of the uh, of some of the more decentralized approaches to uh, really to distributing intelligence in uh, you know across networks. Yeah, it's a great question. And uh, you know, two weeks ago, I was at the um, at the uh, SAS um, uh, sort of a world uh, event and. Uh, uh, we had exactly this conversation because at the end of the day, as, as both of us know, um, uh, the, the reason, the main reason we connect all of these IoT devices is because they are the sources of data and we want to 
capture this data um, uh, and uh, analyze it and um, sort of turn these um, uh, systems into uh, solutions that drive the business outcomes, right? So, um, so it's a generation of data, an analysis of the data, and, and IoT quite often also um, acts on the decisions based on this data. Um, but from that perspective, uh, architecting uh, all of these connected devices in a way that we can capture the data real time, near real time, is what the real innovation for IoT uh, IoT um, uh, sort of brings to the, the table. Because if you think about the centralized clouds, they're mostly sort of um, uh, that's sort of two sets of use cases. One set of use cases is batch processing of data lakes and huge uh, sort of um, sets of data. Um, and the second set of use cases, like for example, vending machines, when you connect a bunch of uh, vending machines directly to the cloud, that use case works because um, you basically, the vending machine sends um, a couple of packets every couple of days saying, hey, I'm, I'm running out of cans, please come over and replenish the supply, right? So the data is not very time sensitive and there isn't, and the application is not very uh, bandwidth intensive. But when you look at the use cases like um, connected or autonomous vehicle, where at the level three or level four um, uh, of uh, autonomous vehicle, that it is estimated that uh, there's around three to four petabytes of data that is being generated within the vehicle per year. Um, if you look at the large uh, oil rig with around 100,000 sensors, there is five terabytes of data being generated by these IoT devices per day. When you think about these volumes of data, and most of this data is in real time or near real time, it's not practical to transfer this uh, or to uh, uh, to push all of this data, raw data, to the cloud for processing, which is why we want to process this data uh, locally in the car or on the or, uh, on the oil rig. Um, and ideally, I add AI capabilities in these locations as well. So you can analyze the data and get um, get the, the action back and only send exceptions or alerts um, uh, to the cloud itself. So from that perspective, uh, the whole concept of fog computing is to basically drive consistency of the architecture all the way from the cloud to the edge. So if you have um, analytics application that need that, uh, like uh, for example, in uh, in case of um, um, of vending machines, you can safely put in the cloud. You can do that. If you need to put an analytics application to um, uh, to uh, analyze um, data in motion in the connected vehicle you can do it as well. So what we've been driving is the recognition that uh, now you need to uh, augment and evolve the current cloud architecture to move into the distributed cloud architectures. Um, and secondly, you need to have a cohesive uh, and consistent architectures that will allow you to implement different set of use cases on this continuum from the cloud to the edge. Uh, are, are, are there any specific technologies enabling technologies that uh, that that you think may not fully be appreciated in terms of the the transformative effect I mean it 
just from the perspective of a of an enterprise you know, looking and evaluating it at all of these options, uh, there, there's an enormous amount of innovation happening across many many uh, disciplines and domains. But um, get your love to get your sense on you know where you think there there are some technologies uh, that are emerging or other enabling forces um, that could have a you know an extraordinarily powerful um, even multiplier effect on uh, investments that people are making today great question and you and I had this conversation before also right which is it may sound funny because um, obviously we're having conversation about Internet of Things but I actually don't believe that IOT by itself is actually very transformational um, uh, you because as we talked earlier the main goal of IOT is to generate the data and then in some cases act on the decisions based on uh, this data. Um, so you need to augment IOT with other very powerful um, uh, and often overhyped actually <laughs> technologies. So, no so one of those is uh, obviously machine learning um, and uh, and um, AI in general. Uh, and we talked about sort of the relationship. I often joke that um, uh, you know, IoT is sort of the the body, and AI is the brain, right? And there is this um, sort of symbiotic relationship that um, IoT needs AI um, to make use of the and, and, and sort of uh, uh, and uh, make the data useful. At the same time, AI needs um, the ingestion of all the data coming from IoT to really train the uh, the AI systems. Uh, so that's one one area. The second one is we've already touched on is for computing or distributed cloud. It is essential for us to evolve our cloud architectures to take full advantage of real-time capabilities of IoT. The third emerging area, uh, which is um, also sort of at the top of the hype curve these days, which is blockchain, um, which again, it's um, when you think about um, uh, a lot of um, uh, sort of uh, IoT implementations are in a environment where there are multiple parties that are transacting multiple transactions with each other. And how do we establish the level of trust, the level of security, the level of transparency, but also efficiency across these different um, uh, participants um, is key and blockchain uh, especially uh, uh, private blockchains are, um, um, they, they have a promise to actually uh, allow us to do that. Um, so if you look at them, um, I think of the combination of IoT, AI, blockchain, and uh, for computing as these four legs of the stool that you need to think about. And to your point, organizations need to get familiar with to really take full advantage of this technological acceleration that we are seeing these days. And these four, um, these four sort of uh, technologies, I believe, are foundation, uh, foundational for digital transformation in every industry. Yeah, we're very much believers that this that this combination, uh, well, that the the uh, being able to uh, harness the innovations from all of these different domains actually results in what we're terming a an era of combinatorial innovation, where mm -hmm. you know that each each component of or each leg of the stool in a sense is is acts as a force multiplier to the uh to the capabilities of the other of the other technologies and i i think we're we're in uh, we're in violent agreement here no doubt absolutely 
Uh, I, I actually wanted to, to follow up on the uh, the digital transformation side and just get a sense from you as you have now we've watched uh, really the first say first phase of of what we'll call industrial IoT or connected industry. You know, if there are some uh, real business model or organizational transformations um, that you've seen work well and and whether there are any specific lessons or takeaways you know from you know those companies or those projects that have really been successful yes i think that uh, the good news is that we actually have lots of examples of successful iot implementations and uh, as 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 you know I, I put a bunch of them in a book um and on average um i would say especially in the industrial space if you look at the first sort of IoT implementations that were focused primarily on improving existing processes, right? Um, uh, and I would say the average uh, benefit um, across these deployments, um, I would say, was between 20 and 40 percent uh, efficiency or productivity improvement, which is which is which is really significant, right? Um, but the the good news is that um, we I, we now see more and more organizations now moving. Um, to the next phase, which is uh, now that they've they've sort of optimized their operations, now they start looking into new value propositions like um, mass customization, mass personalization. We we see the new business models, the service-oriented business models emerging, the micropayments, some other interesting concepts here. Um, we're seeing a sort of a broader um, movement of uh, industries merging, like transportation and uh, technology, or um, the next one on the horizon is retail and manufacturing, uh, into new industries like drones emerging as well. So, um, so we we sort of uh, moved from optimization to now truly digital transformation. And uh, some of the best practices and lessons learned that I've seen from the industries, uh, uh, you know, I and we touched on this sort of earlier one is sort of th uh, think big, start small. The second one is build a coalition of the willing. Um, the successful organizations uh, bring in multiple organizations. We talked a lot about this sort of a classic divide between IT and operational technology teams, right, or building automation teams. and. Um, it is essential that these organizations work together at the technology, architectural, and organizational level as well. Um, we clearly have seen um, the focus on skills and skill gaps, um, not only from the, the actual skills, but also sort of the, the mindset. Um, you, when you think about, for example, my when I think about my father-in-law, he was um, um, a, uh, a technologist in a steel mill in Poland. Um, and, you know, sort of his experience was he um, uh, went to uh, uh, to work for this uh, company. He worked sort of progressively in the same organization, actually went to the same building for 40 years, right? And the job didn't change very much. Now we're moving into this model of you have to reinvent yourself as an individual every couple of years. You have to have a mindset of constant learning. Um, so it's a big cultural shift um, of uh, of organizations and individuals uh, sort of um, uh, evolving their skills. And then there is um, much more focus from the enterprises on investing in their own workforce in evolving skills. So for example, 
I, I have a lot of examples of companies who invested, for example, in um, people that were working on, um, on the line and they helped them evolve their skills to become quality engineers or, um, uh, or supply chain uh, experts. And in the process, they gained uh, uh, sort of a, a benefit of automating and digitizing the operations at the same time employees um, gained the uh, benefit of upgrading their skills and actually making more money, right? Um, uh, we see a lot of examples of industry working with academia on uh, curricula. So instead of getting a generic data scientist, you're getting data scientist who is actually uh, familiar with your industry. Um, the apprenticeships are back. Again, the same concept. It's a win-win for both participants. So the interesting part is, um, as we talked at the very beginning of the conversation, that um, yes, there's a big technology evolution and uh, some exciting uh, uh, developments there. But you have to take a comprehensive approach across all aspects of your enterprise to be successful with digital disruption. It's really interesting that you bring up that skill, the skills gap, because uh, a few months back, I was uh, I would interviewed uh, Gene Beliveau Dunn, also mm -hmm. from Cisco, about what Cisco has done. And it was really amazing to hear that as you think about developing the skill sets, I thought what was so interesting was that um, one of the uh, really, um, I guess, the most important things that Cisco did to help drive uh, adoption for uh, its network equipment was to, was, to, was to offer education and certifications and, and really push the uh, push education. Um, she also mentioned that uh, the, the adoption of, of you know, this Internet of Everything strategy has created about 75, at that point, there's probably a lot more different job categories. So the jobs and roles actually change. I thought that, that, I thought that was a really, uh, really fascinating insight from, from the work that you guys have been doing. You're, you're absolutely right. And when you, when you think about it, um, uh, obviously, uh, we, within Cisco, we're working on um, uh, network academies, that, uh, and there are actually a lot of IoT courses um, for um, high school graduates, for college, uh, college uh, um, uh, students. But um, uh, at the same time, uh, like the work that Gene has been spearheading on uh, from Cisco perspective is uh, we work with the industry, with academia, with our partners, with our customers on um, um, creating this cons these consortia and these models where we uh, together are working on um, uh, these new job skills and, and how we have uh, curricula and how we have apprenticeships, how we have um, uh, jobs ready uh, for these new categories. And then, uh, you know, just think about manufacturing. Um, in the U.S. and uh, Western Europe alone, there are tens of thousands of jobs that don't get filled in manufacturing alone because we can't find qualified people to actually fill these jobs. Right, so it's a question of bringing new people into the industry with these skills. But as we discussed earlier, even more importantly is how do we work with the existing workforces that have wonderful, amazing uh, experiences and skills of often working dozens of years in these in, in these environments. How we help them grow their skills so that we have the best of the best of both worlds. We have their experience of working industry. But at the same time, uh, we, we give them and we help them gain new skills that will allow them to 
apply these uh, uh, these um, uh, long learned skills into these um, uh, new um, uh, IoT and digital uh, environments. Well, and I, I think that lesson really applies for almost any industry that you're, you know, that you could Absolutely. think of, right? I mean, we we now have to become lifelong learners and and uh, and learn to adapt. So, you know, nothing nothing more compelling for uh, you know for a college student to uh, is really just a mission to learn how to learn because it's I think they used to say that whatever you would learn in college would be obsolete in 10 years I think it uh, well certain principles of course are timeless but uh, but you're all no, you're, you're, you're absolutely right you know I'm 53 and um, and I absolutely expect that I will be reinventing myself at least three or four times over the next couple of decades right and uh, so it's it's not it's um, uh, it's this concept of lifelong learning. It never stops, yeah. right? And uh, and we have to continue to do that to to uh, to stay relevant, but also to uh, to have fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's one question that I f- I forgot to ask you, which was some of the w- you'd actually written about the difference of of uh, and I know this is a little bit uh, circling a bit back off topic, but I did want to uh, cover China um, because mm-hmm. you've done some work in China, and I would love to get your perception on some of the uh, the differences uh, in terms of how China is looking at connected industry and and some of the of some of your experience working here in the U.S. and, and in the West. Yes, I uh, I actually uh, just wrote, wrote an article about a couple of uh, months ago. You know, I've been going to China since early 1990s, and there was a sort of by itself that this journey was an amazing transformation. But um, over the last few years, um, as I've been focusing more on IoT, uh, the, the change in China has been dramatic. Um, but it's sort of indication of the broader uh, sort of a trend, which is we, we moved from sort of Chinese companies being uh, sort of focusing more on copying what we've been doing in the West to now um, uh, taking more of a leadership position in many of the uh, applications from transportation, uh, the large um, EV and electric vehicle charging networks and EV, EV focus, right, with big initiatives around smart cities and then not only from the uh, uh, sort of a evolution of existing cities, but they've been building brand new cities that um, gave them sort of a blank canvas of how to deploy smart ser- sort of smart ser- services, right? Um, and uh, so, so it's sort of this focus on aggressiveness in taking uh, uh, ideas from vision to execution, um, sort of a think think big sort of mentality. Um, uh, the uh, sometimes controversial, but big focus of the of the government, right? Um, um, and government obviously has identified IoT as one of the big initiatives. But I do believe that um, even though the the way China uh, Chinese government is implementing IoT may not be applicable to um, other um, uh, countries, but the role of government in driving the agenda in uh, setting the rules and being the customer, I think is critical for all of us. So overall, I would so I sort of saw this big IoT engine, which is a combination of government priorities and focus, um, a very much aggressive uh, can-do attitude of uh, startups, and also um, 
they're a little bit paranoia of the larger enterprises that they need to adopt IoT to survive and to be competitive not only in China but in the um, uh, around the world. I think is what I took from the last trip. Oh, great. Um, well, just as you look forward, I mean, are, are, do, are there any lessons from uh, from what you've seen in uh, with some of the more forward thinking uh, regions like like China and, and certainly as, as with the, uh, the the forward thinking technologists here in the U.S.? I mean, what what's your uh, what, what's your vision for the next mm-hmm. five to 10 years of, of connected industry? What 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 are you expecting to see and, and uh, or what are you hoping for? You know, I think that, um, and I actually published uh, my uh, uh, predictions for this year, right? And uh, so uh, uh, just recently as well. But, um, uh, you know, there, there are a couple of things that sort of uh, uh, really uh, uh, struck me over the last couple of months. One is um, it is important to be hyperlocal. Um, that um, we, you need to start with business environments. You need to start with understanding of the business culture, business structures, before you start thinking about implementing IoT solutions. So you can't take, let's say, a, um, um, a preventive maintenance solution developed, let's say, in uh, in uh, Belgium and and plop it in India and hope it works, right? Because we're starting with a business problem rather than um, from a technology perspective. Uh, I do, um, uh, so one of the things that, uh, that, that I'm taking away is um, uh, the IoT application and adoption is very broad. We started with industrial, but as you and I talked about, it's now in agriculture. It's now in uh, pretty much every industry. The role of the governments in driving the agenda is becoming even more important. The role of governments, um, the, the role of um, um, research is becoming more important. Um, and um, the topic we've talked about as well, which is um, uh, IoT is a piece of the puzzle. Um, and. Um, uh, bringing the comprehensive approach to uh, technology with other aspects from blockchain and AI and many others uh, is important as well. So I would actually expect that um, a lot of IoT leadership from application and from the innovation perspective will come from um, uh, from the markets that are outside of the traditional markets of um, mm. Uh, sort of um, Western Europe and um, and uh, North America, uh, because the 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 use cases are so compelling, uh, because the um, uh, in many ways they can leapfrog from uh, you know they, they quite often in, this, in these environments you don't have a legacy issue you can just leapfrog from um, sort of where you are today to the latest and greatest, um, and also there's the, there's the hunger and uh, uh, sort of a sense of urgency that I see in many places from, um, uh, you know, Asia, Africa, Latin America as well. Yeah, that's that's great, uh, great insight. So, uh, so my last question, Majek, is uh, mm-hmm. which is one I always like to ask is uh, just a recommendation for either a book or a resource. Is there, if there's anything that uh, that that's that you are uh, co- you know currently recommending to folks or uh, some resources, um, would love to, to just get your thoughts on that. Sure. I mean, there are actually uh, many books. My, mine is one of them now to, uh, to, that can help uh, organizations get started on their IoT uh, journeys. I think um, 
I've actually sort of uh, uh, in, uh, I've been promoting some of the other other authors as well. They've taken sort of different aspects of uh, IoT into consideration. But you know, my my advice is. Um, if you've already started on the IoT journey, great, congratulations. Just make sure that you do it in a comprehensive way, as we discovered, mm. discussed. But if you if you haven't started, um, uh, first of all, uh, I would suggest a couple of things. One is don't be a hero. Don't reinvent the wheel. Pick one of the four use cases that I've mentioned, these uh, four fast paths to payback, because thousands of your peers have already done that, so you can learn from their experiences. Secondly, learn from your peers' mistakes. Um, and like in, the, in my book, I put a, the whole chapter around it. Thirdly, take a comprehensive approach. I sort of call it my recipe of IoT success. F the fourth one, don't look at IoT in isolation. Look at IoT in the context of other technologies. And, and lastly, uh, you know, engage with the community. So there are, there are though hundreds of thousands of um, IoT conferences now. And um, uh, so, so go to the ones that are very specifically focusing on the area you want to focus. If you're in agriculture and you want to focus on preventive maintenance, I'm pretty sure there's a conference like this that you can go to and listen to the experts and talk to your peers um, and, uh, and, and, and exchange ideas. And lastly, also, I would argue, get involved with the community, not only from learnings, but also from driving the agenda perspective. Mm -hmm. get, get involved in standard bodies, get involved in uh, sharing your best practices and your, uh, your uh, successes and mistakes, because it takes the village, right? It, all, all of us are on this journey. We all should be working with each other. We all should be uh, learning from each other. No one company can do it alone. That's that's great insight, Majek. And and as always, it's uh, you know it's been enormously illuminating and a lot of fun talking to you and and hearing your thoughts. Uh, that well, that wraps up our our podcast. Again, I want to thank uh, Majek Kranz, who is uh, VP of Strategic Innovation for Cisco, but also really one of the uh, one of the prominent thought leaders in the space. And uh, really grateful for all all the work and the contributions you've made to to the community and to the industry. Uh, this is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner, and that's bringing you another episode of the Momenta Edge podcast. Thank you for listening to the Momenta Intelligent Edge podcast. We rely on feedback, comments, and input from our listeners, so please interact with us by going to our LinkedIn page, our Twitter accounts, or email us at edge at momenta.partners with any suggestions, guest ideas, or commentary. We really value your input and appreciate your listening. Thanks a lot. This is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner with Momenta Partners.